Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by owner-operator of Concave Gallery, Keith Busher. In this outstanding conversation, Keith shares with us his motivation for opening his art gallery in Perth, Ontario, and what they're doing to inspire people to express themselves both artistically and through meaningful connection. We also dive in on how life experience has informed our decisions and thoughts, leading us to promote the power of continual growth. Sit back and enjoy the show. Here's to you, sir. Here's to you, my friend. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I love having in-depth conversations, especially first thing in the morning because it all goes downhill. Yeah. <laughs> I am uh, I am sufficiently fueled with the coffee at this point in time, so it is the perfect time to start hitting on these points. And uh, and yeah, I don't know if it's going to go downhill from here or uphill from here. <laughs> I have a feeling the conversation is going to be the high point maybe. Uh, but uh, But, you know, it's so funny. Uh, we've only been in each other's lives for a matter of months. Uh, we mm-hmm. met back in uh, back in the summertime. Uh, we were in beautiful, picturesque Perth, Ontario, and we happened to be walking down the street, and we saw this sign of this unbelievably, um, almost horror sci-fi like creature of concave <laughs> gallery. And I was like, Cat and I looked at each other. We're like well, we have to go in here. This looks amazing. <laughs> what the hell is this? And I've told this story now a thousand times because I got excited. I walked into your studio and I looked and I saw the foosball table of zombies. And mm-hmm. so this is the way that I, and I, I want to pick your brain on this because this is the way I tell it. And this is the way I remember it. I walk in and I'm super excited. And I'm telling Kat, oh my God, I've seen this at FanFest. This is amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And then you come out, you're like, hey, how's it going? Great, man. Oh, this thing here. I saw this. I went off for like two, three, four minutes about how <laughs> I've seen this places. This is cool. Blah, 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 blah. And you just look at me and you're like, yeah, I made it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking to the artist here. Um, so that that was uh, that was the introduction uh, to to our conversation. And then we stood there for two hours talking yep. about everything and anything from meeting celebrities to the art in your studio to how you ended up there. Um, Kat at one point in time left to go to the bathroom, came back. We were still talking. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and when, when we left, you had said something to me that stuck out to me and you said, uh, thanks for coming in. This was the highlight of my morning. And when you said it, it wasn't, it wasn't a flippant comment. You, you said oh, it no. and there was such a heartfelt, genuine tone in you that I, it stuck with me. Uh, okay. and, and then I reached out uh, a couple of months later as time time as time goes on uh and you feel like you've kind of missed that window of opportunity i reached out to you and you're like man um i don't often remember people but i do remember you and and we picked up just like that and and we're, we're sitting here today we had a conversation last week and i gotta say man i've been jonesing to get to this point to have this conversation with you just about whatever ends up popping up so awesome. that being said you are now in perth you didn't start out in Perth though, right? So tell me a little bit about your journey because I think the the way that you ended up in Perth is quite interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how 
far back you want me to go, but um, I was born in Etobicoke. I was there until about grade four. We moved from Etobicoke to Brampton when I was in grade four. And uh, within a couple of years, when we went back to visit my friends, the whole area I was in, like everybody was, it was messed up. It was really weird. It was uh, like a after school special going back and seeing, you know, I credit my parents for maybe being the writing on the wall when we moved, but the whole place was completely flipped upside down and, and, and rampant with not good things. And so we moved to Brampton and I spent probably my formative years in, in Brampton. I moved around Brampton a bunch of times, uh, eventually was on my own in Brampton for a little bit and then met a girl, moved to Simcoe, which is like west of Brantford because I needed to get away from my bad habits, which doesn't work. I'll tell you that it's, you know, wherever you go, it's a saying I like to say to people, especially people who I heard it from somebody and I say it to people who are lamenting, they're like, oh, I need to go here because I'm sick of the people here or stuff. And uh, the saying, wherever you go, there you are, is kind of a very poignant phrase for me because yeah, pretty much wherever you go, you're still gonna have to fight those things that, that uh, creep up on you when you're by yourself. But uh, moved to Simcoe, that didn't work out very well. Slowly moved my way back to uh, towards Hamilton, uh, met a girl, had some kids, settled down, lived in Hamilton for almost 20 years or in and about the area. And my kids are older. The oldest one went to university when the pandemic struck. My oldest one decided instead of free room and board that they wanted to have the experience of living on on campus and all that fun stuff. So he moved out. My other one who was having a hell of a time, my other daughter who was having a hell of a time in, in Hamilton just decided one day that no more Hamilton and left and we found ourselves empty nesters and we were like well what are we going to do so we had like a five-year plan to move to Perth Uh, my my sister-in-law has lived up in the area for a while and we fell in love with the area and we always kind of figured it was our early retirement and we always had dreams of you know selling and buying something small and simple and and being able to work doing something, support ourselves doing something that we loved versus, you know, having to find a job that pays all the bills, all the expensive bills of of living in a city. So, so we found ourselves moving out here and uh, the ball started rolling and one thing led to another. And uh, my daughter ended up after we left Hamilton, my daughter ended up was like, Hey, I want to come home now because the real world kind of sucks. Um, So she took over my studio and I needed a new space to work. At this point, the pandemic was in full, full effect. So I started thinking about all my friends that I had met traveling around doing art shows and stuff like that. And I thought if I can, I found this, this wonderful space in a 200 year old building called Codes Mill. And uh, it was a little bigger than what I had intended. So uh, I started thinking about how I was gonna pay for it all and, and, and be able to afford my, my workspace. Uh, so I started thinking about all the incredible artists that I'd met doing my art over the last 10 years, but struggling to find a place where I fit in. So it's kind of hard to go on without kind of explaining what I do. So yeah, please do. Uh, my art is I take uh, thrift shop figurines, stuff like this. This was all something I, I tried to get my kids into about 10 years ago and they didn't latch onto it, but I did. 
so I take stuff that's basically upcycling. I take stuff that's destined for landfill or stuff that's old and tired and not desirable anymore. And I rework it into something that's more desirable for the next generation. Uh, in doing that, it's not really pop culture. So I didn't really fit into Comic Cons. It's definitely a hard sell for traditional galleries. So that was kind of out of it. Uh, so I was doing pop-up markets, but a lot of the time it's like you have a table next to your aunt, you know, <laughs> somebody who's like, who's crocheting lovely kittens on things and stuff. And you're like, and then you have my monsters and it's like, yeah, well, I don't know how this is going to work out. So it's, it was just a really hard slog and it's taxing and you put a lot of money out, especially during the pandemic, a lot of the a lot of the vendors and stuff put money out and then shows weren't able to happen, but the vending, but the shows weren't able to pay that money back because they paid for the advertising. So a lot of people were out significant amounts of money and it's just not a very fun kind of way to, to be an artist is to set up and, and use all your weekends and work on nine five. So anyways, long story short, I reached out to all my friends who I know were amazing artists who I met and, and would start conversations with because and buy pieces of their work and, and said, you know, in between shows and stuff, send me your stuff and I will, I will post it up and we'll start a shop and we'll sell it because clearly there's a market for it. If people are willing to pay 80 bucks per person to get into a comic-con for three days to go shopping for your art and clearly there's a market for this art so let's take that out of the equation put that 80 dollars back in the customer's pocket and tell them you can come here anytime and shop for the same stuff and not have to pay to get in and not have to do all this so anyway at first it was a bit like you know calling cold calling people and being like hey i have this really rich uncle and if you can send me ten thousand dollars then in a month i'll send you fifty thousand dollars because it's <laughs> like hey i'm this artist i'm opening a gallery send me some of your your more your cherished artwork and people were like mm, i don't know about that but as people i had a few really close friends who really helped out and that definitely convinced a lot of other people to start taking chances and and so, yeah, so in July, right as soon as the last lockdown, I signed the lease, I think, in March. And I was hoping we were kind of at the tail end of the second wave. I was like, OK, we're just going to come screaming out of this. People are going to be so excited to go shopping and everything. Um, so we didn't get to open until July. That was the end of the last lockdown. So we were about we weren't anywhere close to ready. This was probably around the time that you came and visited us. Mm -hmm. So we took what we had and put it up on the walls, which wasn't a ton of stuff, but we put our stuff out there and uh, we've been building as we go and words getting around. Apparently like there's not a lot of galleries that are kind of doing what we're doing or showcasing the art. Uh, it's the Ottawa Valley is a very art centric area but a lot of it is very traditional art. So there's a lot of people who have been moving here during the pandemic uh, out of the cities into small towns, rural areas. And uh, they're very excited that we're here and hopefully we're starting a trend. That's very interesting. Uh, the idea that people are moving out of the city and into this, it's like a storybook, uh, Perth. Uh, I, I, every time I talk about it, 
I, I explained to people when we came around the corner of your building, actually, as it turned out, and there's mm -hmm. the the river there with the bridge and mm -hmm. the, the one building, I was like, I looked at Kat and I was like, this looks like a fairy tale. Like, this yeah. looks so peaceful, so quaint. Cobblestone came to mind, you know, like lush, <laughs> beautiful trees that probably didn't even belong in this province. Like, it just, it just looked so unbelievable to me that it would make sense that there would be a lot of traditional artists there but mm -hmm. with that probably breeds more traditional artists do you think that there's more with with the influx of people leaving the cities and going further out that there's a little bit more open-mindedness to the art that you guys are uh, presenting to the public well Perth in itself is known as a retirement area when we were looking for places there was a lot of places where uh, it was like you had to be 50 plus or something to join it. Like a lot of the, it just eliminated a lot of the options for us. So it's, it's very much known uh, as a retirement area, which is why a lot of people were like, why are you going there? And why would you open a gallery there? But in that, there's also a sense of security. You know what I mean? That it's not hooligans, that it's not crazy people. Well, there's crazy people everywhere, but, um, and what is crazy, but <laughs> It just, it was, it's safe, it's comfortable, people are polite, people aren't in a rush. It is, it is definitely a weird vibe. And it took us a couple of months after we moved here to really, uh, I don't want to say for the glow to wear off because it didn't really wear off, but just to become accustomed to it, that people smile, like you can smile and say hello to people walking down the street here and not be afraid that they're going to follow you home. Or, you know, um, I, I, I still have my connections to Hamilton and I still love Hamilton for certain reasons, but there definitely was a certain coldness to it as well, because there was a lot of issues with mental health in that, in that city with the, with the steel plants and everything shutting down. It, it was just a hard place to kind of live. So, I mean, I, I understand why my kids were kind of like, no, nope, I'm done. <laughs> with it uh and and to a degree we were too um it just for some people it works and for some people it doesn't and then coming here was literally a breath of fresh air and figuratively a, a breath of fresh air and just not having to be in constant fight or flight mode all the time you know what's the traffic going to be like today am I going to be 10 minutes late or am I going to be 20 minutes early, uh, you know, is the Skyway Bridge going to be open or is there going to be an accident? All these silly little things that you had to take into account every day that just drove up your anxiety before you even left the house. And here it's like everything is, you can walk across town in five minutes. So the first month I was here, I didn't even put gas in my car. It was such a foreign, foreign thing. And, and a huge credit to the town itself which is very protective of its heritage. The town in itself is like older than Ottawa, than the city of Ottawa. It's older than Canada. The building I'm in is almost 200 years old. And it's a credit to the town, although sometimes it can be uh, a little bit difficult to kind of open a shop like this in a, in a town like this, but a credit to the town that they've definitely not let it go off the rails, not let it become gentrified and updated and everything like that. Uh, yeah, it's an absolutely gorgeous town and beautiful. And I have absolutely no regrets about moving here at all. So 
the park that you were talking about, like even that was donated by somebody from the town under the stipulation that people can't, that they, the, the town can't run festivals in there. They can't have vendors in there. They can't lease it out in there. So there's no way for anybody to make money in there. So it's basically remained untouched, which is why you have these big, huge mature trees. It doesn't get trashed by festivals like full of garbage and stuff. And it's just a really, yeah, I don't know what to say really. I think that that it's it's beautiful. And with me and my love for horror, uh, and and my my growing love for sci-fi, and honestly, just my growing love for different viewpoints uh, on different things. To walk into such a beautiful, beautiful, picturesque town, and then to have a modern representation or an alternative representation in your studio uh, of different arts and different ways of doing things, I thought was just a perfect blend. So, I mean, like, I'm going to obviously include all the links to the studio, because if anybody is even in, in and around that area, they have to stop in uh, to, to Perth. Sure. But they have to stop into the studio because uh, like, I'm super excited to get back there just to see what other art (laughs) you have, because I know that you guys are just getting off the ground, but but you, you're in touch with, with 19 year old artists. I mean, we walked out of there with a few pieces. Um, you know, we bought a piece from a, a young female artist. I can't remember her name, but she's the one that draws to music. Yeah, um, Natalie Reynolds. Okay, there you go. And uh, and then we bought the the family portrait of the little monsters, uh, which is from yep. Matt. Uh, Mark Mark Donier, Mind Mark. Melt Studios. Right. He'll be doing a show. If you're looking at coming, he'll be doing our first show of the season. So it's going to be April, May. So mid-April into May, he'll be doing a show with his little monsters and stuff like that, which I'm very much looking forward to. Oh, man, that's amazing. We might have to come up because I might need an autograph. I might need some more pieces because we we <laughs> have them hanging up in the house, right? It, we were looking for, we want a blend of classic art and modern art and different viewpoints. And, and we we love to explain to people what this is. And, and uh, you know, so to kind of have those different artists in different different forms, black and white color is really cool. So I think what you're doing is amazing. One of the other things that I thought was really cool that you were mentioning is that you were in the midst, and I know that COVID has messed everything around a lot for a lot of people, but you were in the midst of creating a space in the studio for artists to come to run workshops. Is that correct? Yeah, we're uh, almost done, finally. Nice. <laughs> we, uh, we, going into Christmas and everything, it was just super busy. So we finally got the room painted. We have currently four desks set up in here. The idea is, as much as it's a heritage town and as much as I love this town, I find that since I've been here, and I, and I could be wrong, but the, the central area, the main strip of, of any kind of tourist town is, so to, Perth itself has a population of 6,000 people. So how do you open an art gallery in a, in a town full of, with 6,000 people in it? But in the summertime, when the borders are open, this is as I'm told, when the borders are open in the summertime with the cottages and everything, this town goes from 6,000 to 22,000 in population. Wow. So there's a lot of flux there. Um, it's known as a very historic town. It was the most beautiful town in Canada or Ontario a few years back. It was nominated um, or won. But the town itself, the downtown core, 
uh, a lot of it is geared to tourists, to bringing people in. The people, the day trippers who come in, spend the day, they want to take a memento home with them to put in there and remind them of their day in Perth. And, and just being here, just even visiting a few times, it's great. And I have my favorite shops, the cheese shop, the pie shop is amazing. Um, the antique store down at the end, there's some, there's some fantastic inspiring places, but then you, the candy shop's really good. But as a, as a resident here, living here, there's not a lot of need for me to go to the main strip because it's, it's a lot of like uh, live, laugh, love signs, stuff that you put up in your house and, and, and things like that. So it's not, it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but it's not very practical other than the restaurants for people who live in the town. And just walking around, we saw like a lot of teenagers and kids, but there's not, there's hockey, there's sports, there's organized things like that, but there's not a lot for teenagers and stuff to do as there really isn't in a lot of towns. And that's not necessarily what we're gearing our community room to, but my thought was, I want to create a space. I want to, I want to, I want us to become part of this community, but I don't want them to feel like we're coming in to change it. I don't want, I don't want to be blamed for the beginning of the gentrification of the area. Um, but I can't, but you can, can't help but see, like we were talking about the people who are looking in the city and going, it's a million dollars for a house in Ottawa for us for an attached house in Ottawa, you know, like a semi-detached house is a million bucks. I can't afford a million bucks, but I can drive an hour out of town and live in Perth, this tiny little, uh, what's the movie? I like to refer to it as the, the that movie, the one with Reese Witherspoon and Jake oh, Gyllenhaal. Oh, Pleasantville. The Black Pleasantville. So a lot of people are moving out to Pleasantville with their families and their kids and stuff like that because it's a fraction of the price and it's beautiful and it's safe and it's clean. So I'm looking around going, there's all these people, but there's not much for them to do, especially during a pandemic and stuff. So how do I ingratiate myself into the community and give back to the community? I'm like, I think we can offer them something that that they're not currently being offered, which is a which is a nice, little more modern art space. But but running an art gallery on its own just by itself is not super. It's tough. It's a tough slog. Um, so to supplement, we had all this space. We took one of the rooms and we decided to make it a community art space. So what it is is the houses here are a little bit small. Some of the houses are a little bit small and stuff. So we created an art space for people to be able to come in and create during the day or evening if that's what they wish to do. Um, we're going to run classes. We're going to have people who teach their skills. And, and, and it just is like, it's for artists who don't want to set up and have to on their kitchen table and then have to tear it all down to make their supper and stuff again. You can come in here, you can create some stuff, you can leave it to dry, you can go home, have your supper. You don't have to worry about it until you come back. The other thing that we wanted to do was um, we're taking donations of used art supplies because as artists, we're hoarders. We go to stores and we're like, oh, I just need a couple of paintbrushes and you walk out with $250 worth of craft you might use someday. You know, it's that, oh, I'm inspired by this. So I'm going to pick it up now and then put it on a shelf and never think about it again. So we're going to be taking donated art supplies uh, donations as well, like financial donations as well, 
and uh, buy a lot of art supplies for people in the area who don't have access to art supplies. So there isn't a there isn't a confirmed art store in here. There's a fabric shop, craft shop. There's not like an art supply store in town. So if you don't have a car and you don't have anything, then how do you how do you get your art supplies? So we're going to have donated art supplies that are accessible to those that don't have access to art supplies. So they can come in and use those for free. And we will help them build a portfolio. We'll hang up some of their paintings and the question we take off of their painting pays for the art supplies that they use to express themselves. Because expressing yourself is, is hugely important. And especially times like these where it's a pandemic and people are frustrated and people are scared and people are sad and people are depressed and people are excited to get out and people have all these feelings built up. And like anything, any time in history when there's a, a huge amount of strife, the best music and the best art comes out of it, right? You've got the the hippies in the 60s and their and their music. And so giving people a place to come and, and put those emotions and those feelings. And you don't have to be a professional. You don't have to pay me for the space. You don't have to do all these things. You can just come have a conversation. You know, it's nice to connect to a person, talk get it out of your system, do some artwork, and then you get to go home at the end of the day and you're not carrying that around with you anymore. So that's that's one of our goals. What a brilliant idea for so many different reasons. The things that pop into my mind is the excuses that we can come up with sometimes to just to, to not try something, right? Um, oh, I want to, I want to try to, to draw. I want to try to paint. I want to try to express myself in some way, but I'm not going to go out and buy all the materials. I'm not going to, um, you know, invest the time and money into all of this stuff to try to figure out how to start, where to start and, and the importance of an actual space. I think you nailed it. Uh, most people now are actually understanding the importance of a designated space to do their work in, like their daily job in. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've I've uh, done photography for a number of years, and to set up and tear down, do all that nonsense, it's demotivating in order to to actually express yourself. So what you're doing there, there's so many different reasons, and then you nailed it because that's what I was thinking uh, in a time like this to be able to express yourself you have no idea what art is going to come out of this you have oh, no yeah. idea who's going to take off it's not even about being the next whatever artist it's just a matter of this is like a genuine expression of self and if that can connect with somebody i mean that's worth it right there isn't it well that's part of the mo of our of our plate of our of our gallery too though is it's not just we're not just looking for professional artists, but I, I tell people all the time when they come in, the art that we have in here is not necessarily traditional. Like we wanna be a safe space. It's not just a gallery, it's a community space. It's a safe space for everybody in the area to feel free and come in and be themselves. You know, so there's, there's no judgments here, there's no um, I mean, I'm not a licensed therapist or anything like that, but uh, I've been through some shit and I know what it's like uh, on both ends. I know what it's like to be that anxious, depressed, frightened, suppressed person. And I also know what it's like to be the parent of that person. So I think I have to a certain degree, a unique perspective that a lot of people gravitate to because 
there's so many kids right now who are going through different things that even their parents come in and they go, oh, my kids would love this place. And then it's like, well, why would your kids, you know, what, what is it you think the kids will love about it? And then they'll just start talking about it and some of the challenges they had. And I, and, and I can try and relate. If I can't relate, I just listen. And I'm like, you know, try and empathize. I've been given tools on how to, through my experiences, I, I've developed tools on how to deal with the person who's just trying to work it out on their own. So the point of the gallery is how many times I've walked around and you look and you you look in the window and there's four paintings in the window and they're all priced, you know, north of $2,000, let's say. And then you look into the window beyond those paintings and everything else in the gallery looks exactly like that painting. And you're like, well, if for whatever reason it doesn't appeal to me, I'm not going to go in there. Because if it's all the same kind of thing, then that's not the store for me. Same thing if you look at the window and the price tag is out of your range, you're like, well, I'm not going to put myself through the embarrassment of going in there and having to admit to the person that I, you know, I love art and I want to look around, but I can't afford any of this. That's very humbling for people, you know, to have to admit that, to say that, even though, you know, I don't expect people to be able to come in and just drop $2,500 on a painting so important thing for me was like price points and stuff and having so we have room a room just full of prints so it goes anywhere from like ten dollar prints up to hundred dollar prints and then we have the original work as well um but i wanted to have that safe space but also the main thing that i get from a lot of artists is well what do you want what do you want me to make what's you know what what do you want me to send you and it's like i don't I have no say in that. I'm basically, even though I'm an artist myself, I am basically just your PR person. Like I want you to make what you want to make because those are the pieces that have stories to them. Those are the stories. Those are the pieces that have life to them. Those are the pieces that come from an experience in your life. So when somebody comes to me and says, tell me about this painting, I'm not just going, well, it's made from acrylic art. And the artist uh, thought that planes would be really interesting to some people. So they decided to paint a plane that day. I can say it's a monster. And this monster is representative of the anxiety this person feels in regards to going out that day. So they had an experience that day earlier and uh, it influenced them to come home and just kind of get those feelings out so that they could let them go. And people gravitate to that because now when, <clears throat> when they're allowed to have people back into their house, people are gonna go, well, that's a very unique painting. And they have a story to say that's not, well, I like planes, you know? And, and I think people really attach, it's a lot, easier to move art because people attach themselves to that story. They can relate to the story or they empathize with the person and say, oh, you know, I, I get that. I understand that. And then suddenly price doesn't matter anymore. It's like, I have to have this because it haunts me. It's like an earworm. It gets stuck in your brain and you go home and you can't stop thinking about that painting. And you find yourself walking around your house looking for that space perfect spot in your house oh you know what that painting would go great over here but mostly it's about giving a space for artists to just make art you know I can't 
I, I am not a person who can paint uh, what I see in my head, what I want it to look like. Um, but there's a lot of amazing artists out there who can. But there's so many artists out there who succumb to commissions and, and trying to think about what's marketable. And I've done it. I've, I've gone, you know what, this is going to sell a million pieces. And it doesn't, it's crickets. And then I'm like, you know what, I'm just in a mood today. So I'm going to pick up some clay and I'm going to smash it together and see what I come up with. And I'll get a million orders for one piece. You know what I mean? It's like, you're, because they can see that you put yourself into it. So it's such a, it's, if it was easy to figure out, we'd all be millionaires making art. But for me, the one consistent thing I've always seen is when you're making for you, when you build an art piece, you build it for yourself. And that way, if it doesn't sell, you've got a really cool piece of art in your house that makes you think of something. But if it does sell, you basically can ask for the moon because if people don't buy it, you still have a cool piece of art for your house. Do you know what I mean? So you, so there's that constant struggle that artists have about um, what do I charge? How do I, how do I, how do I get what I'm worth? How do I ask? We're all our own worst critic. How do I ask a hundred dollars for this when I, I'm like, this is so personal to me. I don't see anybody paying more than $20 for it. How do I ask for a hundred dollars? Because that's what I believe it's worth. And I think it's easier to ask for a hundred dollars when you're attached to it and to stick to your guns and say, no, that's what that piece is worth. And then when you sell it to somebody who appreciates it and pays you a hundred dollars, you don't have that sense of regret or worry imparting it to that person because this person was willing to pay what I thought it was worth, which means it's worth that much to that person as well, which means next summer, I'm not going to see it on their yard sale table. I think it's amazing because uh, in what I'm hearing you say, uh, first of all, art is a form of storytelling, right? And it's cool to look at a photo and it's cool to say, oh, the colors are nice and the shadowing is nice. If you know even a little bit about it, it's like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. It's good. It's nice. I'll throw it on a wall somewhere. But if you have a story attached to it, then you're personally connected to it. The thing that I'm curious about is that you're an artist. And as you said, you're a PR person, but, but you are, you're a storyteller for these individuals as well. You're, you are those, the, the voice of these artists, which I know in talking to artists in the past that not a lot of them have a voice where they can speak and communicate their thoughts and ideas. That's why they choose their different forms of communication. So at what mm -hmm. point in time for you, did you decide that you didn't want to just focus on yourself and you wanted to actually promote and help other individuals express themselves? And then how do you strike that balance between communicating your thoughts and ideas personally and the thoughts and ideas of others? Because that's fascinating to me. I don't know when that point was exactly. It's, uh, I think I've spent the last 20 years. So when we had our kids, we had them quite young. I mean, I was probably at the lower end of the average age of people having kids at the time, but my wife was very young and it was unexpected. And uh, it definitely put us behind an eight ball for a very long time of trying to make things work and make ends meet. And I didn't, I didn't come from a very, even though I come from a very artistic background, um, my brother has always been, uh, he's won the awards. He's gotten accolades. He, you know, he sells, 
uh, art in Toronto. He's quite well known. And my content is a little less, uh, he's, a, he's a fabulous artist, but mine tends to be a little less crowd pleasing than others. And I, I still take that on the chin. And I, and I don't have that formal training. Like I didn't go to post-secondary school for art. I didn't do all these things. So like most artists, I don't actually consider myself an artist. You know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not though, because I just, I just fart around and sometimes it comes together and, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's a disaster. So for like 20 years, I was like an introvert. I had my kids, I had my family, I did my job. For longer than 20 years, I've been an introvert because I'm a strange person. And I'm, I'm learning more about myself. The, the 40s for me have been a real turnabout for me personality-wise. It's, it's very strange when I look back on it. And I'm learning things through my children about my personality and the way my personality works. So I was an introvert for a very, very long time. I'm still an introvert. I don't go to bars, like places that are crowded and busy, even Comic-Cons. Like, it's really hard. Like, it was so hard that first show that I did. Now, sorry, you said you saw the foosball table at which show? I believe it was at the Toronto Comic-Con. Was it at the, was it at the Toronto Comic-Con or was it at Hamilton? Um, no, I wasn't in Toronto. So we were at the Hamilton Comic-Con, but we were also at the Room Morgue. So uh, I didn't make it to Room Morgue. So it must have been the Hamilton Comic-Con okay. that, that we hit maybe 2018-ish. Yeah, like okay. So, somewhere around that time. Yeah, so that we've been we've been touring for a while doing that show by the time we got to that show. The first show I did was Rumor, and it was so hard for me because I have those panic attacks in crowds. Um, I would take my kids to an amusement park, and I would have to remove myself for an hour. I'd be like, okay, Michelle, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take the kids, because standing in line and people bumping into you and just the din, the noise of, of so many voices and not being able to separate them like caused extreme amounts of anxiety for me it was it was really hard because like going to parties like house parties with people and stuff and all the husbands end up in one room and then the wives and girlfriends all end up in another room and the guys want to talk about I don't want to be stereotypical but the guys want to talk about cars and they want to talk about sports and I don't know if this is I'll ask you because it's an interesting question but is this like, do we not, as men, are we not all that interested in cars and sports, like as a whole, but we pretend to be because, because we think that that's what the other men in the room are going to judge us on. So it's like, I do know, I still to this day follow sports. I don't have time to watch sports, but I still follow the headlines and stuff so that if the conversation comes up, people don't look at me like I'm a complete right off as a man if that sounds <laughs> weird but i yeah you know it's it's uh it's a great question because uh, a lot like you over the years i spent a lot of time hanging out with my mom and my aunts i i'm a self-proclaimed proclaim uh, mama's boy everybody knows that about me uh i was i was scared and ashamed of that for a long time because we both grew up in that era where you're a man you should be a man don't cry mm -hmm. don't watch soap operas 
watch sports, be a man, toughen up yep. that type of stuff. So we both grew up in that era. We're the same age. And um, so for the longest time, you know, I would be, I'd be always around the females and that gives you a hell of a perspective on uh, the female viewpoint of things, which is interesting, but you, you do, you, you didn't have this latitude to be able to be interested in other things like um, feelings, like mm-hmm. talking about feelings, talking about art, talking about, you know, what this looks like, why, you know, I, I, I did this to my house the other day and it was, you know, I painted my house. I didn't build a piece of furniture. I just painted it and made it look pretty because I liked it. And I didn't paint it dark. I painted it nice and vibrant. Um, so you're right. I think our era was, was uh, you know, it was starting to come out of that. I think you and I are part of that era that can say to the millennials, yeah, I understand that, you know, what it was like to be a manly man. A lot of my friends were, but I wasn't. Um, and, and it's, it's okay to not be that. So I, I was like you in a lot of ways where I was kind of gathering up Intel. Uh, yep. So that way, if I ever got trapped in a situation where guys were talking about tools or cars, which I find hilarious. Cars is a great one to bring up because Kat loves cars. She knows more about cars than I do. So anytime we're talking about cars, I say, talk to, talk to this girl over here. She knows what the hell's going on. You know what I like <laughs> about cars? That's pretty. That sounds fast. This is good. <laughs> that's that's it, that. man. Yeah. yeah. Right. So um, I, I think that's why it's really important for us to be having those conversations because like our generation um, still has a lot of life left in it you know, and, and there's still time for our generation to continue to open up our eyes that you can be different ways. You don't have to be just stuck in a little box and, and be tied up in that knot of not knowing who the hell you are. Well, one of the things that really excited me being a parent when my kids started growing up is one day my wife and I were sitting on the couch and the kids were watching cartoons and we put on something. And it was like the Disney movies at the time. Yes, we ended up having to watch The Lion King 800,000 times and stuff like that. But also at that time, Disney started to move towards things like Lilo and Stitch and uh, The Emperor's New Groove, which is like my all-time favorite Disney movie. When people are like, What's your favorite Disney? Emperor's New Group. Hands down, Emperor's New Group. And people are like, it's such a strange kind of obscure film to choose out of the entire catalog. But when we were watching these movies, we were watching them with the kids. And I said, and, and we turned to each other and we went, our generation is making movies now. Like you're seeing it in commercials. You're seeing it in television programs. You're seeing it in cartoons. You're seeing it particularly in animation because in animation you don't need to have it doesn't need to have logic so we were watching a lot of these cartoons with kids like little bear and timothy goes to school which were all these ones that they put on for the kids and it was like even arthur and stuff like that which were really popular there seemed to be like eight tropes the golden rule somebody gets caught stealing, have to deal with bullies. But then when they got out of those tropes, they just changed the characters. And it was another cartoon based off the same tropes. Then you started to see cartoons 
that were just like completely out there and there was nothing and I was like okay kids we're gravitating away from this because you guys get this we're going to teach you that we're your parents we're your guardians you know I can teach you on a day-to-day basis how to do that but I can't teach you how to imagine things and I grew up with imagination so we're going to watch these really bizarre um, far out cartoons and movies and stuff like that because they put humor in it for adults, but they also were unique and interesting and different. And you didn't know, you couldn't predict where they were going. And, and that was exciting and fresh and new. And it influenced the generation that's coming up right now. And, and you're seeing them enter the workforce and people are like, oh, these, oh, it drives me nuts when you hear all oh, these millennials, they're lazy, they're this, and they're not. And it's that, and and to me, I'm like, no, we just raise them not to be machines that just go by the status quo anymore. You know, they that they have imaginations and they can imagine, you know, imagination's not always necessarily about dragons and unicorns and things. They can imagine a world and they can imagine a place where they're like, I want to like to come to work. I want to. I can imagine a place, I can imagine this place evolving where I still can do my job, but I can have fun doing it. Like it doesn't have to be this mechanical checklist of this is what I have to do all the time. And that actually appeals to the customers too, because you get a unique experience that makes you remember that store by dealing with somebody who is a little bit less, hi, how can I help you today? Okay, that'll be this, get out kind of thing they're more interactive they're more social they're more jokey and fun and and as a result you're starting to see them become more free to do things and a lot of people uh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this but my son is trans and you're seeing a huge shift in this concept like we were talking about growing up, going to parties, and it's like, you go into the guy room and you talk about sports and cars, their generation is like, I don't want to be separated in that way based on my gender. I want us to be all sit in a room and talk about everything and everything and and not feel the constraints of my gender identity. And I don't want to feel, and a lot of people are scared by this. A lot of people are intimidated. What's the, what's the, um, the quote by Morgan Freeman. Oh, Morgan Freeman. Um, his quote is, you know, why do they call it homophobia? You're not scared. You're an asshole. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's like, and that's the, these groups of kids are getting together and it's not based on, are you the same sex as me? And, and I've had conversations with my kids where I'm like, there were times when I might've gone down that path, that same path that you're going down but I couldn't, like, it wasn't possible. There wasn't online communities that I could gravitate to. There wasn't Comic-Cons where I could go and pretend to be another person for a weekend at a time and connect to other like-minded people. It was like, I was stuck in this small social bubble in whatever town I was in. And we were all terrified to be ourselves because being different was, was horrible, right? Whereas now being different is celebrated. It's almost like when you're not different, you're different, yeah. right? You're, yeah. you're yeah. shunned. So 
oh, I always feel like my answers get so far away from oh no this hey, this is was. it man this is the this is the flow this is this is exactly what I want this conversation to be in every conversation that I'm involved with because mm-hmm. it's so funny as you're talking you just you nailed something that I actually uh, I recently in recent years have been more open to talk about is that if I grew up now I might have made some different choices I might be in the same spot I am now but if I mm-hmm. were free to express myself and explore in different ways that are more acceptable now when I was younger Maybe I would have explored some different things. I have no idea. I'm not saying that I'm gay or I'm, I would have been 100% straight or I would have been against this or for that. But what I'm talking about is exploration, right? Yeah. You're options. right. The options. There, there was no communities. Um, if you thought a certain way, man, if you weren't the head of that group, if you didn't have that confidence that was instilled in you by something, whether it was your home life or whether it was a friend or a mentor, Mm. you were shot down so quickly that that idea didn't even have a chance to blossom or blossom and fade away naturally. You knew, you knew that intersection in Toronto where they hung out, Mm -hmm. where gay people hung out. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, what was that? Jane and not Jane and Fish. That was, well, the church area, the church yeah, area is. Sorry, the church yeah. mm-hmm. It was like everybody knew if you were of gay persuasion, if you were, then that's where you went. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like your fear of your curiosity was like, I'm never stepping on that street. We were scared of just the perception that we might be because that's all it took for everybody to gang up on you and you know that mob mentality and say oh well I heard somebody spotted him walking down church street so everything was very hidden and behind closed doors and you know secretive and and yeah I mean if it had been encouraged and developed and and that you felt like there was a place who knows how we would have completely changed as a society and and we're seeing it now and there's there's still unfortunately this big dark heavy umbrella that hangs over everything but it's definitely i'm not i am not in any way shape or form saying it's 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 easy because it's not at all but it is easier than when we were younger and i think our generation should give themselves a slight pat on the back for not for allowing these kids to grow up and, and be who they are and experiment and, and do those things. Um, sure. We're not, I mean, how is it any different allowing a kid to kind of go out and explore who they are as a person and what they're interested in? How is that any realistically more dangerous than when our kid, when our parents used to let us go jump off a cliff into a reservoir or something, you know what I mean? It's or something even more, uh casual to us which was go outside and play yeah right which, like that's yeah. considered the, one of the most dangerous things that you can do now yeah and why though like i nobody knows i man. still I, have that 
you know, we have these conversations and, and I was, uh, I was reading, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's books uh, for a while there and Jonathan Haidt and they were talking about these these different concepts and one of the things that they were they were bringing that back to was you know back in the the 90s you know when America's Most Wanted came out and mm. uh, you know that that was that was the start of the panic because it was a real possibility your kid could get kidnapped it was a real possibility that your kid could end up on a milk carton and the thought mm. and idea of that happening uh, changed, changed parenting, changed the perspective uh, almost overnight. And I can't blame it because my God, like I don't even have a kid, but I can't imagine losing mm -hmm. a child in any way, shape or form. So if you could just take steps to make sure that doesn't happen, you know, control for the things that you can't control, then do it. It's not the way forward in my opinion, but mm. it's seemingly a portion of what happened. Well, you were probably a latchkey kid too, right? Like Absolutely. Your parents gave you a key and were just like, I'll be home after work. Ward around my neck, man, on a, you, on a piece, of, uh, yeah. piece of rope. You better be home at six o'clock when we're having dinner or you're not eating kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then after you came in and you were like, scarf it down. And then you ran back out so you could play hockey or baseball before the sun went down. Yeah. Because um, that's what men do. Um. <laughs> I played a lot of tag and, and dinky cars. I was, <laughs> I had the, the trails out in the back dirt patch and I was playing, I was playing with those. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's, there are so many, like when you have imagination, there's no limit to the things that you would do. Yeah. When That's I lived so in a townhouse fun. complex, we had massive marble courses for playing marbles and all the kids in the neighborhood would play cops and robbers or capture the flag or something like that. So there was that community. So I know like Unsolved Mysteries and stuff when they talk about kidnapping and, and stuff like that. I think definitely the news, the 24-hour news cycle, I think the ability to gain uh, access to information <clears throat> and usually scary information sold better or, or produced better results than, than happy news stories. So I think they gravitated towards those because I think, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, like the world was rampant with serial killers. We just didn't know about them, right? Yeah. I look back now on all the, I'm a big fan of like true crime and stuff like that. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff and I'm like, holy smokes. And, you know, at, at any given time, they talk that there's 10 active serial killers in the United States at any given time that we just don't even know about. No clue, and it's yeah. like, this is so messed up. But I think our gravitation towards those shows and stuff emboldened the bad guys too. Cause it was like, Oh, that's where he screwed up. I'm not going to make that same mistake, you know? And, and I don't, I don't know that there's more people who are, are creeps or terrible people. I'm sure the online adult industry doesn't help things at all. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, the internet definitely doesn't help thing at all because this will circle back to what we were talking about before but if I had access to the things that kids had access to now never mind finding my own little community and being in that group and saying oh okay well let's experiment with gender fluidity let's experiment with this let's you know I want to change who I am I don't know I think back then I would have gotten myself into a whole lot of trouble you know, because I was an adrenaline junkie. 
So with, I think a lot of my experimentation in that realm, that fear, that adrenaline of, of being caught or, or someone finding out that I was having these thoughts or, or whatever was just as thrilling as the act itself. Oh, so, so if I had access to the internet where parents know and parents at that time had no idea or it didn't exist that there was like security blocks you know who knows what things i would have found and situations i would have put myself into just for the thrill of putting myself into that situation when i was younger so going into high school we were talking about going into high school i was like 65 pounds and like four foot eleven so I wasn't a manly man. I wasn't trying out for the football team. I wasn't, you know, I got into drama and art and those sorts of things because those are the things that I gravitated to. I played baseball. Like I loved baseball, but I couldn't hit for shit. I could do anything else you wanted me to, but I couldn't hit the ball. But that was as close to something manly that I did. But because I was so diminutive, I think my parents had a lot of fear around me. Like I couldn't defend myself. Like I couldn't put up a fight. I couldn't. So when my friends wanted to go camping for the weekend, which everybody, including me, knew was just going to be a giant drunk fest and everybody was going to be passed out and so on and so forth. My parents were like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. I don't know why. I don't know what makes some kids listen to their parents religiously and some kids be like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want and go and do it anyway. But I was one of those kids that my dad was pretty scary. So if he said no, it was a no. So I took adventures in other ways. I didn't spend my money going on trips because my parents, I like there was no point in saving up $1,500 to go to Florida for a week because there was no way my parents were going to let me go to Florida by myself for a week. It was just things like that. They were, they were worrisome, and it turns out they probably had good reason to be. So my adventures came from stimulants. So it was like, I can do this in the comfort of my own home, but I can get that thrill of danger and excitement by pushing limits in my own home on acid or on marijuana or, you know, mushrooms, you know, altering my sense, ultimately evolved into ecstasy and um but these were these were how i rebelled these were how i went on adventures you know this is how i took my boring community bubble and made it an adventure like a whole different place a different plane of existence a whole different a new world to explore and try and not be a giant heat bag and have everybody go, Look, there's the stoner kid over there. So that's how I really started to define who I was, was, was through drugs and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, and my ADHD, I think, has lost the original question. What were we talking about? Sorry. No, no, I, we were just, initially we were talking about that idea of fear and why we don't allow kids to do the things that they do. And then finding that way to be able to express ourselves and kind of forming who it is we are based on the, constra- based on the constraints that we're in. Yeah, so, so for me, it was, it was drugs. But if I had had a computer and 
no safety protocols on the computer, being a latchkey kid, God knows what websites I would have ended up on, you know, um, if I'd known about swingers, if Mm -hmm. I had known about, you know, these sites where people are looking, like I didn't, these concepts didn't even occur to me because I didn't have access to all those things. But kids these days have access to all those things. So kudos to them that they're not out doing these horrible things with strangers who can lure them although chat rooms at the time were doing these sorts of things i didn't we didn't have internet we didn't have those sorts of things we didn't have those luxuries so for me it was it was drugs but it could have gone a completely different way you know if i had a phone in my pocket that had access to these things 24 7 when i was that age god only knows where i'd be That's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking about why is it that this fear that exists now didn't exist when we were younger. And one of the things that popped into my mind was this world is a hell of a lot smaller than when you and I were growing up. Everything is at our front door now. The serial killer that you read about or you hear about or you watch documentaries about on all the social media streams or jump on the internet to read their bios and, you know, people that celebrate them and all that stuff. That's in your house now, man. That wasn't in our house before, right? So I can understand to a degree that the sense of fear uh, can appear real. You know, you read that a child was abducted down in um, Mexico, you know what I mean? Just thinking about a place that's Mm -hmm. pretty far away from, from Ontario. Uh, And that feels like that happened here because that's where you heard it. That's where you experience the actual Mm -hmm. emotion of thinking to yourself, oh shit, that could happen here at any point in time. Listen, little Billy, you know what? You want to go to the park? Let's go to the park. I'll go with you. I'll bring my book. And you know what I mean? Then that's totally fine. What I feel though, is that it's okay to be aware of the dangers. And and I think as as parent or as a a parental figure uh, of any kind, or just as an adult, you, you can instill these values upon the younger generations that haven't had the experience and the time of living on this earth just yet. Not that we know everything, but we know a little bit more than the younger generations. So for us, and in this conversation that we're having, what I keep coming back to is that we're in a unique position that we can take our experiences, um, some of them very restrictive and some of them exploratory, and we can instill the foundations of basically survival, you know, just to bring it back to like a really simple concept, it seems. And, and then let, let life do what it does because it's going to do, I don't have to tell you, you're, you're a parent. You can tell your kids as many things as you want because you think it's better for them, but they're still going to go out there and do the things that they want to do that's why I like our generation. That's why I really love you and I, the way we grew up is that we had a chance to be constricted, but for some reason, there was something about our brains, the way that we think and our perspective broke free. But I think that's a super valuable for the people now, because now it's not just, a, it's not a matter in my opinion of, do you feel a certain way? Go, go out there and do whatever you want. I don't Mm. think doing whatever you want, whenever you want is the answer. You still have to adhere to certain things because you could very well end up not here experiencing any of this stuff if you make some really bad choices. 
there's yeah no there's definitely like a balance in there and like the best thing that you can do I don't know I've been I've been railing about the education system for a really long time because I think especially now more than ever when you see the stuff that kids are coming home with or not coming home with or whatever and you're like what is this like how is this like this just seems to me like they're trying to fill time to keep you busy until at the end of the year they can just go okay as you were go ahead you know what I mean it's not I don't feel like they're educating kids anymore I feel like everybody's got their own philosophies on things but there's practical everyday things that need to be taught to these kids and you know common sense is one of them spotting a lie is one of them you know being able to do the research is, this is a huge one right now is being able to process information that you're given and actively seek out more information on it so you're not just taking it at face value um, a huge one for me and my family is dealing with rejection. I read a re- an interesting article recently about somebody whose who's dad, every time they came home from school, would be like, what did you fail at today? Because they wanted their kids to know. She was like, I never understood. Like, I accomplished great things. And I was like, oh, I did this amazing thing. And all my dad wanted to know about was what I failed at. I don't think it's necessarily right the way her dad approached it, but at the same time, it taught them that every day you're going to make mistakes and it's not the end of the world. And it's not, you know, I'm not going to get mad at you for making mistakes. I just want to know that you learned something today the hard way, you know what I mean? And, And that you're aware that you learned something today the hard way. One of the big things for my family is, is dealing with rejection. So I said, my son is, is trans. He's, he was female going into male. Um, and my other daughter has had a hell of a time as well, especially with the social media and everything. But a lot of it stems from, and I'm not saying this is only a boy thing because it's definitely not just a boy thing. But when somebody shows you affection, becomes romantically interested in you, and it's just not there, you know what I mean? Like when you go, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested in you in that way. Mm-hmm. The vitriol and the poison that that person, that this, that people take on, like, how dare you? I have feelings for you. So you need to reciprocate those for me. And if you don't, I'm going to come up with rumors about you. And I'm going to go on social media and, and tell people all these things and I'm going to reveal all those secrets that we, that you told me when we were having conversation as friends, but when I decided to try and take it further and you didn't want to, I'm going to spill all those beans so people can use it against you, you know? And that's a huge, huge thing for me. And you see it in grownups nowadays. It's like, how dare you? Look at the influx of, of, of this is a very dark conversation. Um, is, look at the hey, This influx. is a part of life though, man. Look at the influx of basically people who drive a truck into a crowd of people because they don't understand why women don't want to have a relationship with them. Maybe people don't want to have something to do with you because you drive trucks into the crowds of people. You know what I mean? Because your temper is ridiculous. Because you've got this broken view of 
of how relationships work. And I don't know how it happened and I don't know when it happened. And I don't know how it occurred, but this is, you know, not helping your cause. This doesn't, you know, solve the problem. This doesn't, you know, this person needed help somewhere along the lines, but I'm seeing it, but I was seeing it in school. I was like, these are the people that are going to grow up to hurt people when they don't give them what they want. And it's such a strange, you know, they've always been out there, but when, when it comes to, there just seems to be this influx of it now where when you hurt me, I have more ability in my hands now to to do that damage to you tenfold it's this idea of of taking back control the control was removed from your from you you were hurt in some way shape or form and some people don't seem to have that ability to recalibrate and say it's okay to be hurt but instead they just become reactive my question to you would be you've grown you've you you have two grown children now and as, as uh, adults, as young adults, they still have their own struggles, but you now have more experience in your life faced with children who are growing up in the times that we're all talking about now, you know, we're all talking about that freedom to be who you want, embrace who, who you are as an individual. Mm. How do you, what, what would be some thoughts that you would have for parents who are now going to be raising children in a time where sexuality is, is, is a real thing. This isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, I don't think it can be buried anymore because it's been there since the beginning of time. It's been depicted in many ways, shapes or forms about sexuality. Um, but now it seems to really be coming to the forefront that it can't be held down anymore. How do you talk to your children about you know, you're going to be faced with situations like this. There's going to be people who are going to be receptive uh, to your feelings and thoughts and ideas. And then people who are not going to be receptive, Mm. how do you equip them to react in a healthy manner to that? That's a tough question because like as an artist, I don't feel like I'm a very good artist as a parent. I don't necessarily feel like I succeeded as a parent either. Um, My son I'm very proud of both my kids. I'm very proud. I love them to the moon and back. Uh, We always see so much potential in our family and, and we don't want to see them get hurt. And I think that's the biggest fear that we have around everything is that somehow they're not going to live up to their potential and that they're going to get hurt. And we don't want those things to happen. Personally, uh, and and don't feel bad, but that one cuts deep. I'm not in a position to give any parent any advice uh, towards how to deal with it because I'm still learning, and every day I learn something new. And I guess I guess my 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 thoughts on it would be before you react, the same thing as you know when you're watching the news. Before you react to that headline, do your research. You know. If, if, if your kid wants to talk to you about something and you don't know much about it, it's okay to say to your kid, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I need space to learn about this and, and, and learn it with them. You know what I mean? Because if you work alongside of them, 
they're they're still learning it too, right? Like this is a foreign a foreign concept to them. This idea that suddenly I'm attracted to A, not B, you know. And everything says everything I've watched on TV, everything that I've been taught, and everything I've I've learned has taught me that I'm supposed to be this way, and I'm just not feeling that way. And I think the the best thing that you can do is not dole out advice, not tell them, especially if you're coming from a place that you don't have experience and say, I don't know. I honestly don't know at this point. I honestly don't know, but I love you so much and love you enough that if this is something that you truly feel, then let's explore it together so that at the same time that you're learning, I'm learning. But also my life experiences, I can say this sounds ideal, like this is somebody who's presenting this in this way, but this person, you know, my life experience might be able to say this person is coming from this experience, but they might have this background or they might have this kind of setup where you don't have that or um, this information that they're providing you is not accurate. You know what I mean? And that's where my education comes in and I can help you. I'm not saying you don't want to... You don't want to be dictating them how to learn their life experiences, but you can at least help. Because if you if you outright are like, no, no, this is not going to happen. This is not under my roof, whatever. Then you have no control over where they get their information from. You have no control over what they're going to do because they're going to do it behind their backs because they know that you're steadfastly against it. They're still going to do it. I learned this the hardest possible way and it fucking sucked, which was if they're going to, if they have it in their mind to do something, they're going to do it. And you are powerless against it. And that's not cool. And when, when I was first told that it, it, I was so mad at that person. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going to break everything that you know and that you think about. And, and I'm going to prove you wrong. And, and nothing's going to happen to my child under my watch. But the more I thought about it, I was like, fuck, they're right. You know, you can't, you can't be there 24-7. You can only do the best that you can with the time that you have. And unfortunately, with like mental illness, with sexuality, those sorts of things, if they've got it stuck in their mind and they are determined, there is absolutely nothing you can do to stop them. And it sucks. It's, it's a harsh, harsh reality. So be there with them. Grow with them. Learn with them you know, that's the best protection that you can give to them is be in their lives and be, you don't have to support every concept that they have. You don't have to be, but if you show that you're trying, they're going to be more receptive and more flexible with you on what they're trying to accomplish. Whereas if you just take a hard stance, they're just going to circumvent you. They're going to find a way to tunnel through you go under you, go over you, go around you. So that's your kid. That's, that's your blood. And it comes down to what can, what, how much do you 
want to shape that person. I agree. I think that the thing that I have really gravitated towards over the past five years is uh, approaching everything as a hybrid. I spent a lot of my life dulling out what I thought was good advice uh, based mm-hmm. on the knowledge and information that I had gathered. And then, and, and, and even in that, a lot of that advice was just by listening and giving advice back to individuals. What I realized more often than not is it's got nothing to do with what you think and say. It's more about what the other individual has to think and say. And so I really came to this, this crossroads of sometimes it's okay to talk and sometimes it's okay to listen. But bottom line is you have to be approaching things on both fronts. And every time I think about, this is one of the reasons I don't have any kids. Um, it's, it's something that, that we want, something that, that we're working towards now. And it's only now that I think I could be the parent that I'd want to be in knowing that there's no possible way that I'm going to be a perfect parent. It's Mm. just not going to happen. But the only thing that I keep coming back to Keith is as a parent, the only thing that I want is to be able to provide a safe space for my child to communicate in as open as a form as they want or that Mm -hmm. they don't want. And then, and then the key is for me, trying to deal with my own personal emotions when things don't go the way that I think that they should go. Mm. Um, and I think that if you can strike a balance between offering a safe foundation for growth and understanding that you still have emotions that are going to happen and that this is just the way we are as a species, maybe, just maybe, I don't know, that's a recipe for success in my own personal life that can then be translated on to somebody else's life, man, because there's no fucking easy way to do this, this life thing. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you prepare. Don't kill yourself preparing. See, now I'm, I'm going against my own rules. Um, the last five years, I've been really, really, I was a scout leader when the kids were in scouts and Scouts is interesting because Scouts is kind of like, it sounds horrible to say it this way, but Scouts is a great place for kids who aren't into sports to gather as groups and kind of work together and make friendships and complete tasks. But what's great about Scouts is that it's a collection of it is it really is a collection of kids who don't know where they belong right they don't they're not in sports maybe maybe they're not in the sports maybe they're not in the cars maybe they are you know but they still are lacking something out of that camaraderie that group or whatever and scouts is interesting because you get put into little scout lit groups uh, patrols and there will be four or five different completely different personalities but they all have to learn, especially the scouts group that we were in, we basically were like, here's your money. You go grocery shopping for the weekend and we will have backup food if you screw this up. We don't tell them that, but we're like, we'll have backup food. You tell the parents we have backup food in case they this up, but they learn, they're free to learn. But as a patrol, they're going to go and decide 
what's everybody's taste? They have to find food that matches everybody's taste and they have to go, what are their limitations? You know, there has to be something that they're going to be able to build or make over a campfire. So it's a lot of problem solving, but also within that group, they have to deal with all the different personalities within that group so that they can have an enjoyable camping weekend. With the scouts, and because of my issues with the social media bullying and with um, the concept of basically what it what it came down to my my kind of idea was what it came down to was problem solving an issue with problem solving so i would present the kids one of the things we would break off into groups and and we would do a cycle for whatever with the different patrols and one of the things i would always teach them is debating and they were like oh we did this in school i was like okay good then you know what you're doing but these other groups don't these they haven't done it yet they haven't covered it or whatever yet and I would give them a debate topic that was kind of kid friendly and say, you know, discuss pros and cons, discuss it. But I made sure that they broke down, you know, you like an essay or whatever, you, you come up with your three points, your strongest, your weakest, your middle point, your closing arguments, those sorts of things. But what it was the big thing for me was the act of listening. When that person is talking you're going to get a chance to rebuttal. So what you need to do is take notes about what they're saying that you disagree with, or you think that you can pick apart because that's active listening. That's something that we're lacking as a society right now. We're just basically going, uh, waiting for the other person to shut up so we can make our point, but we're not actually listening to anything that person is saying. So that's where a lot of the disconnect comes from because I don't know what got you to this point. I don't know your history. I don't know. And, and, and then I would explain that to the kids is like, you're actively listening. It gives you tips on what happened to that person earlier in the day. That's got them to the mental frame that they're in right now. And that helps you better communicate to them in a way, because you're going to adjust now how I talk to that person because I now know that they're sensitive about this. So I'm not going to touch on that or I'm going to tiptoe around that, right? I'm not just going to blurt out whatever because I didn't actually listen and I didn't pick up the person. And I think that's one of the biggest things. But in doing that, I started creating for myself. I was realizing that I'm not doing some of these things that I'm, I'm teaching people to do, that I'm not actively thinking about what led this person to the point where they're at today because the average person doesn't snap at a at a i hope anyway um at a customer service person because they can't do what they want them to do right in that moment and you're like i don't think that i gotta i gotta break the mentality and say i don't think this person's like this all the time just fucking snapping at people constantly you know, so how do we how do we approach that and say, look, maybe I can help. Is there something is there something happening? Is there something that I can help you with so that we can resolve this a little more calmly? Right. Like seeing both sides. Of it. We've, we've gone we've gone so far off the rails in anger that we're not addressing the problem anymore. We're we're dealing with other things. So it's um, so when I enter conversations I find myself choosing my words far more calmly I try to react I talked to you 
earlier and we talked about how when I get excited about a conversation that I get very emphatic. And normally I'm a very, I mumble, I'm a very subdued type person. But when I get excited about something and people take that as aggression and it's like, it's not aggression. I'm just really excited about this conversation because it's, it's sparked all this imagination in me. So I've really had to take that into consideration and say, when I'm dealing with somebody who doesn't agree with my politics, when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't agree with my views on sexuality, if I get emphatic, they're going to get emphatic. And then it's just going to escalate and we're going to go completely off the rails. So I really have to take an active, I have to really actively calm myself and present my conversations, which then in turn sounds a bit condescending because as I'm thinking about things, I tend to talk slower and people are like, I'm not an idiot. No, you're not an idiot. Um, I get in a lot of trouble sometimes like people are like, you're not even paying attention because I don't respond. And it's like, no, I just no longer feel that need to fill awkward pauses with stuff I haven't really thought out yet. So I'm trying to process everything and my brain goes in a million different directions. It's like I'm trying to process that and figure out a way that I can communicate myself without being upset. And one of the things, long story short, again, back to the original thing, is when I'm dealing with my kids, um, I found myself saying, you have to, you need to, this is how you do this. Don't do that, do this. I still struggle with it where when I'm talking to people, I'm not making demands of them. Have you considered, you know, what would you do in this situation? What do you think is the answer? What do you, you know what I mean? A lot of times people are just talking to you, inventing to you because they're trying to figure it out in their own heads and they don't need you to solve their problem for you. They just need you to give them the cues that they need to help them resolve it, to figure out in their own head, why can't I get to the solution of this? And that's where you're there to, as especially as a parent, to kind of be a guide and not say, oh, this happened? Well, you need to do this. Because they might be like, I don't have the confidence to do that. I don't have the skills. I don't, then you're like, have you considered this? If you say I need or you need to do this, then they picture themselves just doing exactly what you say. If you say, have you considered this? It's more softer and malleable and they can put their own influence into it. How do I take what I know and my abilities and put it into this so that I can come up with a solution that works for me, but also solves the problem? So that's, that's one of the biggest things that I've been working on in the last five years. And it's led to far more interesting conversations and it's led to longer conversations, deeper, more meaningful conversations. I tend to lean more liberal. I've had lots of conversations with conservative people because it's like, and, and, and there's ways that I will approach those. So if I see something that's online or something that upsets me, I don't label that person. And I try not, you know, I don't say, oh, there's another conservative asshole or here's another whatever I try and say I'm I'm confused by this what is what is the point of this what is the message that you're trying to get across because to me I'm reading it like this 
but I understand to you it means something different. Can you explain it to me so that I can understand why you felt it was necessary to share this? And if you put it out there that way, you get one of two. I feel like in my experiences, you get one of two responses. You either get fuck right off or you get cool. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Because whoever you're against, whoever you're going to have this debate with, whoever you're going to have this conversation with, they want to be heard as much as you do. And they want to be understood as much as you. And the reason that they're frustrated and they're ranting and they're lashing out or doing whatever it is that they're doing, acting in the way that they are, is because they're so, is, is, they're so desperate to have somebody hear them. So if you can present your way yourself as going, I don't agree with you, but I'm willing to listen to you to help me understand, people gravitate to that. And they're like, oh, I, I love this. And now let's get into a deep rooted conversation. And then like this, it goes on for three, four hours because, because now once we can, we realize that, and there are times, you know, where you go, okay, let's not get into name calling. And we're, we both know going into this that we're from opposite sides, you know, as long as we can keep it from getting degrading or insulting, like there are certain barriers you need to set for yourself and go, okay, this is no longer the conversation I envisioned and I need to excuse myself from it, right? It's politeness, but also being open to new concepts. There's this idea as you're talking about it, because I, I agree with a lot of the points that you're saying, um, especially when it comes to uh, critical thinking and asking questions. That was a, a change that I made a long time ago. But I think, I think the way that I would summarize that is instead of changing your sentences that you're speaking from ending with a period or an exclamation mark and change that sentence to a question mark at the end of it, then you have the exchanging of ideas. Yes. Then you have an opportunity yeah. to engage, right? In, yeah. in ideas. And you, it doesn't mean that at the end of the conversation, you're going to look at the other person and say, you're right and I'm wrong. Because at the end of it, I think we could agree that most of the time we're both we're both right and we're wrong in a lot of these cases. There's mm -hmm. very few people that are walking this planet right now that have the answers to every everything, because if they did, they probably would have started a society that's perfect. And I don't think that that's what this life is about. When I was like a teenager and I was like in my drug addled age and, and going through all those things, all the time I used to say to myself, well, why can't they just do this? Why can't it just be like this? And... It wasn't until years later that it was like, it's not up to the world to change to my personal settings. It's, it's up to me. This is another one of those things in school that I think needs to be taught is it's like, it's a lot easier. I'm not saying change yourself into something that you're not, but I'm saying change yourself into something that can adapt to situations change yourself into something that doesn't allow you to be in uncomfortable situations if you're in an uncomfortable situation be confident enough to say this isn't the place for me and i need to excuse myself not put my foot down and raise my fist and go this place is fucked this is stupid and and drag it through the mud and, and this is horrible and what a stupid idea this is. 
because it doesn't fit into my life pattern. You just go, I'm in the wrong spot right now, you know, and I need to remove myself from this spot. If it's changing your mindset, if it's just going, I'm not going to hang out with that group of people anymore because I don't share their philosophies or I'm going to hang out with them. But when this comes up, I'm going to excuse myself, right? There are certain things that you want to see positive change in the world, right? I'm, I'm dealing with something right now where it's very tough because you're like, no, in my mind, this is a bigger wrong than just me stepping away from it, right? Certain things are, are there are certain things where you're like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in this situation, so I'm just going to walk away. But sometimes just walking away perpetuates the problem because you're allowing that behavior to continue. So that's where being able to calmly express yourself maybe has other people suddenly second-guessing themselves. So going, um, going back to the thing where we were talking about, you may have this big, long three-hour conversation with somebody where you're on complete opposite sides and you're arguing the whole time. At the end of it, that person still believes what they believe and you still believe what you believe. But I like to think that that gap got a little bit closer than it was before. And I'd like to think that moving forward, I've learned something that in my next interaction, I can say to this person and use to disarm isn't the right word. But if I was to go into the next conversation with somebody because of my understanding that I learned in the previous conversation, I can say to that person, do you feel this way? You know, do you, is this your understanding of the situation? Is this where you're coming from? Because that's hugely disarming for people who are like, yes, you get it. You understand where I'm coming from. It's like, yeah, I don't agree with it. And I'm willing to have a conversation with you, but I'm not completely oblivious to your plight either. And I like to think that that other person from the first conversation, the next time they run into a situation, is not going to use terms like libtard, is not going to call somebody a snowflake, is not going to, they're going to say, I wonder if this person's like that other person who I had a really deep and meaningful conversation with, and I'm going to try and approach this person and, and get them to see things my way or understand why I'm acting the way that I am. So they won't lash out at me. So they won't belittle me. So they won't call me names and, and do these things, right? That's, I don't know, for me, that's the first crack in the wall of breaking down this communication barrier that we're having, is being able to, is, is having confidence and the ability to go into a conversation and say, this isn't going to deteriorate. Like we're both grown people or we're both sensible enough that we're willing to listen and learn something. I'm, I'm open to learning something from this conversation that we're going to have. I think that that's a brilliant way to wrap up a conversation that started with talking about a fantastic gallery that I happened to stumble across and, and kind of encapsulating a little bit of what people may be feeling and going through now in times of, of COVID. Um, you know, life can be as difficult as we perceive it at different times. And this is uh, an interesting challenge, but, you know, to give it that little bit of a pause of thought before you react might get us 
into a healthier mental and physical state, because I think both of them work in, you know, in, in, in succinct with each other, that that's exactly where I want to end it. Yeah, for sure. It's not easy. I've been doing this for five years and I still make mistakes and I still catch myself doing judgment, like having judgments on people. And I still, I'm human. So I still have knee jerk reactions and gut reactions to things where I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how, how does this happen in this day and age? How do people still believe this or how did they look at this? And so, I mean, it's not easy. But yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a great kind of place to stop. And, and maybe that's another lesson is, is don't ever believe you've mastered it. You know, don't ever believe, don't think, oh, I've got all the answers. Always be willing to learn in art, in conversation, in everything. If you feel like you've mastered it, then you need to find a new way to approach it. Always, always, always be learning. That's my, that's my kind of newfound philosophy. The one point that I would add on to that is there was two times that this popped in my mind. You had said that you don't consider yourself an artist or you don't consider yourself a good parent and, and that type of stuff. And, and I actually have, I was thinking about that from an actually positive perspective, because just like what you're saying, I think once you get to a point where you're like, yep, I'm a brilliant artist or yep. I'm the best parent there is. I think that that's when you've reached your peak of, of learning and growth and potential, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I love it, man. This, uh, listen, Keith, this was everything that I wanted it to be and more. I had no idea where this conversation was going to go, but I, I knew it was going to be awesome. And, and, uh, I have to say that, uh, from the bottom of my heart, genuinely, I'm really so appreciative that I was able to have this conversation with you today. I'm glad that we happened to run into you last summer. I don't know when that was going to be. We were going to cross paths at some point in time that, that just feels. Well, we already did at one point. Exactly. Exactly. Four years ago or four years ago. My God. Um, So, so uh, again, thank you very much for taking the time to have this conversation, man. You're, you're an awesome um, mind to sit down with and and bounce ideas off of. And uh, we are definitely going to do this again. I know that you are already up for another conversation because I think that we can go on. We touched, we didn't even touch on a lot of the things that we were going to talk on. Yeah. Oh, I can, I can ramble. I know. I thank you for reaching out and, and I live for conversations like this. I live for people like yourself who are where, where it just flows naturally, you know? And, and, and I knew that when you came in and, and when you left, there was almost that remorse of like, oh, maybe I should have like got his phone number or something. Not, not in a romantic way or anything. No, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but, but, you know, you're like, oh, because as adults, it's really hard to make friends. A hundred percent of this, man that was one of the hardest life lessons I ever had was when I got out of high school, I was like, people think you're weird. If you're like, Hey, we should hang out. And they're like, Oh no, we shouldn't. How do you go from there? Now, now not only were you working towards something now that's just completely cut off because you approach that in totally the wrong way or what have you. But as an adult, it's really difficult to connect with people. Yeah. And, and our conversations, they, they flow so easily and they inspire so many new thoughts and new avenues to go down. And, 
and possibilities to look at. So no, I very much appreciate this. I hope this is not the last conversation that we have. And uh, anytime that you you want to sit down and chat, then I am absolutely here. I love it. Thank you very much for uh, spending your time, your morning with me. Um, and we will definitely be in touch, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.